We're still in this series called Seeing Jesus. And uh, as I mentioned at the very top, those of you who are in here, um, actually at 1045, just saying, that we, uh, we're in John 9 this morning. And it's the sixth sign that John gives us about who Jesus is, uh, about seeing uh, Jesus. And uh, it's a story that's commonly known as the man born blind or the healing of the man born blind. We're going to look at that this morning, but as we do, as we prepare, I want to share with you that there's, uh, we're going to look at this story, we're going to look at this account from three perspectives, two groups, one individual. Uh, the, first, um, the first that we're going to see and learn from are the disciples and uh, those that were following Jesus. The second group that we're looking at are the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And then the third is the blind man himself, the man born blind. And uh, we'll be looking at it from those three perspectives. Uh, then uh, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at the disciples from the, the, the great kind of classic question of why. The disciples are going to ask why. Why do hard things happen? Why do bad things happen? Why is there struggle? Why is there challenges? Uh, why are there challenges in the world? And, and so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that this morning out of John 9. The second then are the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and we're going to look at the idea of spiritual blindness, that, that we're seeing a story here of Jesus healing a man born blind, but Jesus is going to teach us about a different kind of blindness, a, a blindness that we're all born with, a, a spiritual blindness. And then the third, the man himself, uh, we're going to learn the cure for spiritual blindness. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, that's how we're going to approach it. And so uh, let me read for us, read with me, please, And from John, the ninth chapter. We're going to read the first seven verses together. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his, disciple asked, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and, and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. So as we look at this passage, we look at the first part of this, we see that the very first thing is that there is a man who's been blind from birth and Jesus sees him. Now I want you to notice the fact that this man doesn't see Jesus first, he can't see, he, he's begging on the side of the road, he doesn't ask to be healed, uh, he doesn't have friends, there's so many of the gospel stories we see where friends bring people to Jesus, but G this man is simply on the side of the road, Jesus spots him, and Jesus goes to him, and the disciples ask that great kind of classic question about life, whose fault is this? Isn't it true in our lives so often that something bad happens, we have a tragedy, we have something terrible that takes place, and, and the first thing that we want to do is figure out who's to blame. Wh whose fault is it that this happened? Whose problem is it? And, and they ask the man, is it, is it the man that sinned? Now, I want you to remember, this is a man born blind, so the assumption is somehow in the womb, he did something so horrific that he was born blind, that he sinned, and, 
and subsequently was born blind, or was it his parents? Was it something they did? Are they bad people? And, and it, you know, this question gets asked so often, isn't it, that, that well, they're poor, it must be because they're lazy, it's their fault, or, or they're, you know, or somebody else did this to them, they're victims of this, and, and we're always wanting to find out who's to blame, and, and so the disciples are asking Jesus, we've got to have somebody to blame for this, whose problem is it? Uh, they're not asking about how do we fix it, they're not asking about how do we love him, how do we care for him, they want to know who whose problem it is, and Jesus gives them a really interesting answer. You see, Jesus is really clear with us that we live in a world that's been broken. You can read it in the Genesis account, you can read it all through the Bible, but we live in a world that's been broken. We live in a world that's been broken by sin, that we've rebelled against God, that we've gone our own way, that we've been selfish and, and self-serving, and, and the result of that is that we've missed the mark that God set for us, and, and the world is in that condition. The world is broken because of sin, and we live in that broken world. In fact, Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three, he says, in this life, there will be trouble. I just guarantee it, it's part of living in a broken world, it's what happens. In this life there will be trouble, but then in John 16, 33, Jesus goes on, but he says to take heart because I have overcome the world. In this passage, we're reminded that we live in a broken world. And here's what Jesus says, in a broken world, pain happens, tragedy happens, hard things happen. But here's the, here's the response to it, is that I am at work. That we may never know the whys in our lifetime. We may never know why something happened. We, we may never be able to figure out who's to blame for the tragedies that we see or the rough circumstances that we experience, all the things that we go through. But here's one thing that we know for sure is that in the middle of those things, whatever it is that God is at work, that Jesus is at work, that he's doing something, whether we can see it or not, he's always at work. And so it changes our perspective. It changes how we look at the circumstances of our life rather than figuring out who to blame, rather than figuring out who to be angry with, uh, rather than feeling like a victim. We can look at those circumstances and say, I want to see what God's going to do because I know that he's at work. I know in spite of what I'm experiencing that God's at work. And so then we look at the story and it's so interesting because then Jesus, he spits on the ground and he makes the mud and he puts it on the man's eyes and he sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and John wants us to know a little interesting fact. He says the pool of Siloam, which means sent, that he wants us to know the name of the place that he sent this man. Now we have a picture of the pool that we can share with you. That's the pool of Siloam. It doesn't have much water in it in this picture, but there are times when it's high enough uh, that, that you could actually swim in it, that you could wade out in there. Um, but it is a pool uh, that goes into Jerusalem and it's caught in some channels and it's sent into Jerusalem. It flows into Jerusalem for their use as water. And it's important to know that it's coming from some other source, but it's being sent into the people. And John just wants us to have this picture that Jesus the Christ is the one who was sent by God to be living water, to bring healing, to bring hope to the world. And so he wanted us to know. He wanted us to know the name of it. 
So the disciples, they want to know who to blame. Jesus says, I want, here's what I want you to understand is that I am the light of the world. It's one of those great I am statements. He's already said it once in John 8, 12, but here he repeats it. He says, I am the light of the world, that he's beginning to talk about a different kind of darkness. He's beginning to talk about a darkness that we live in, uh, in this world where we, you know, you know what it's like to live in darkness. You know what it's like to be in a completely dark room. You, you're, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know if you're going to bump into something, if you're going to fall over something. So you're a little bit paranoid. You're a little bit afraid. Um, You're a little bit confused because it's dark and you have no idea which way to go. You don't have any idea what to do or what you're going to bump into next. And we live in a world that's like that. We live in a world that's in darkness. And Jesus says, I want you to know that I am the light of the world. And when the light of Christ shines, we see him but we also see ourselves. And see, that's why some people don't like the light because they don't really like what they see when they see themselves. It's one thing to see Jesus, but do I really want to see me? Do I really, can I, can I handle what I see when I, when I see myself? But, but when we begin to really see Jesus, when we begin to see his love, when we begin to see his grace, we begin to understand that it's not about me, but it's about him. It's about what he's done. And I begin to see myself through the love of Jesus and everything changes. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We know that God is at work. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. So we come to the next group. We come to the Pharisees, and we're not gonna read all these verses, but from verses eight to 34, it deals with the Pharisees, or there's another word that's used in the text. It's it's just, it says the Jews, but when you see that in that context, it's always code for the religious leaders. There's a Sanhedrin in the temple. It's 72 rulers uh, of the temple, and they're people of power and of influence and authority, and and so that's always a, a code for that group of people. So we're talking about the Pharisees, and the leading Jews, the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the temple. And the man, what we have is the man can see now and, and he see and his neighbors see him and they're stunned. And, and in the very beginning, it says that his neighbors, the people that he'd lived with his whole life, they see all of a sudden that he can see it and they're amazed at it and they ask him, what happened? And he says, this man, Jesus, that he came and he spit on the ground and he made some mud and he put it in my eyes and I washed in the pool and, and now I can see it's unbelievable. It's awesome, and they're a little bit confused, but they're saying, wow, this is something. Well, there was a tradition that if you had leprosy or if you had blindness or if you had some other disease and and suddenly you found yourself well again, that in order to really be fully well, in order to be declared well, you had to go to the temple and present yourselves to the priests, and they were the ones that would declare you whole. Because if you had leprosy or you were blind or had some other disease or problem, you were considered unclean. You weren't allowed in the temple. In order to be back, you had to be declared clean by the priest. So it's natural then for those neighbors to say, let's go find the religious leaders. Let's go find the priests. Let's go find the Pharisees. And so they bring the man to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but they didn't exactly do cartwheels over what had happened. They, they weren't exactly thrilled about it. They, they had a huge problem with what Jesus had done because here was Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath and nobody did any work on the Sabbath. Nobody in their right mind, no good Jew. They said, if Jesus is really legit, he would know better than this. He wouldn't do a miraculous sign. He wouldn't do a great miracle on the Sabbath. Nobody does anything on the Sabbath and we protect the Sabbath. That's our job. And so here we have these guys. They're so blind. Here's a man 
man who has been blind from birth, Jesus heals him. Now he can see. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's spectacular. It's greater than anything anybody had ever seen. And they were so focused on the fact that you don't do anything on the Sabbath. They were missing the whole point of what Jesus was doing. They were so consumed with their own rules and their own order that they were completely missing what Jesus had just done. They were spiritually blind. They were a picture of what it means. You see, they had reduced their faith to religion. They had reduced their faith to keeping rules. It was about ceremony. It was about rules. They were famous for being better than anybody else at keeping all of the Jewish rules, keeping all of the Jewish customs. They kept score on who did the best at keeping all of the rules. That was their thing. They were really focused on how to keep other people out. Jesus was completely focused on about how to get people in. But the religious leaders had a problem. So they bring the man in and they start (laughs) threatening him and they say, this can't have happened. You you weren't really blind. He said, no, I was blind. I can see, this is what happened. I don't really know much about Jesus, but I know this. And and so they, they, they think, okay, well, you know, just leave. They sort of kick him out, had enough of him. And they go get his mom and dad. They get his parents, they bring them in. And can you picture the scene where these folks are probably poor, uneducated. They've taken care of their son who's been bl- you know, blind from birth. They've taken care of him all of their life. They've spent all of the money, all that they would have ever had to take care of their boy. And here the most powerful people in their community, the most powerful people in their religion bring them in and there's an inquisition. And they use threatening language and they challenge him. And here are these folks and they can't debate they, they, they can't argue with this religious leaders. They're completely over their heads. They don't know what to do. So they give the answer, you know, yes, he's our son. And yes, he's always been blind. And no, we don't know what's happened. But he's a grown-up. If you really want to know the answer, you, you probably need to ask him. He's the one to ask. We have no idea. They were afraid of being excommunicated if they said the wrong thing. They were scared to death. So they just said, to go back and ask our son. And, and so these religious leaders sent the, the parents out and they brought the son back in and now they really threaten him they really challenge him and we get to a great point in the story in verse 24 it says this so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and he said to them and they said to uh, to him give glory to God but we know that this man referring to Jesus is a sinner he did something on the Sabbath for goodness sakes he did this incredible miracle on the Sabbath so this man is a sinner. In verse 25, the man, the man formerly blind, it's kind of like the artist, you know, formerly known as Prince. Now he's not the blind man anymore. He's a man formerly blind. He answers them. In verse 25, he's, he answered, he says, look, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's so great. Here's the only thing I know, you guys. You're better theologians than I am, he says. You know more about the law. You keep the law. You have so much more education than I have. I I don't stand a chance against you in a theological debate. I don't have a chance against you with your education and your background and all that you have. I just know this one little thing that I've been blind my whole life and today I can see. That's it. That's all I got. And he left it at that. 
And, and I love this picture because this is, this is my life and this is your life, really. Because we, we were born in this spiritual blindness. We didn't know how to get out of it. And we didn't see the world very carefully. We didn't see the world very clearly at all. And sometimes we worry about having the right answers because we committed ourselves to Jesus and we believe that we have faith in him and then people start asking us all kinds of crazy questions, you know, and, and we don't know the answers to it and, and they're, you know, people are making us you know, worry. Is it, was it six days for creation or was it 6,000 years? For, you know, what was it? And, and we don't know and they're asking us other questions. I had, I had somebody ask me over the weekend, uh, <laughs> was Jesus ever married to Mary Magdalene? Because they'd seen it on a special in CNN and and they were totally confused about it, and I, <laughs> you know, all this stuff happens, but here's what it boils down to. It boils down to this. Once I was blind, and now I see, and that's the truth. And nobody can take your story. Nobody can argue down your story. That you were born in darkness, you were born in blindness, and now you can see, and that's what you have. You belong to Jesus. He gave you life. He gave you sight and nobody can take that. And it was the end of the story, and the religious leaders had nothing to say, so they threatened him a little bit more, and they threw him out because they were blind. But the story doesn't end there. The story continues with the man. We never find out his name. I guess that wasn't really important to the story. We know that he didn't ask to be healed, that Jesus sought him out, so many times we think it's us that's seeking Jesus, but it's Jesus that's finding us. He didn't approach Jesus. No one brought him to Jesus. He didn't ask to be healed. All of his life had been lived in darkness. He was a beggar. That's all. And one day Jesus saw him by the road and he went over to him and he, uh, this is this great scene. Think about this for a second, all right? He spits on the ground, he makes some mud, and then he wipes it on the guy's eyes. Seriously, Jesus, that's the best you got? You're gonna make a little mud pie and you're gonna put it on his eyes and that's what we're doing? Okay, you're the, you're the creator of the universe. I mean, like send lightning to hit his eyes or something. Let's do something spectacular. Like we, got, we can do better than this. I can help you. I'm an, I'm his, I, I should be an, his marketing agent or something. We could have done a better job, but this is what Jesus did. He, and, and here's the part that I love. He put the mud on the man's eyes and he said, I want you to go wash. I want you to do something. And why would Jesus do that? I have a couple things that I'd like to offer you. Here's, this is just conjecture, but it's because I love this story Here's a man that was born blind. He's a beggar. His whole life, he was completely dependent on other people for anything, for everything that he had. And on this day, at this moment, Jesus says, I have something for you to do. I want you to participate in the miracle. You're gonna be part of this. You're not just sitting on the sidelines. You're not just begging for help but you're gonna partner with me in what I'm gonna do. And I want you to get up and I want you to go to the pool and I want you to wash your eyes and let's see what happens. And the man did, he obeyed, and when he did, he was healed. Now here's the other thing for us, okay? We so much wanna figure out how Jesus does stuff. 
we want to have a method for it. If we do these certain things, God's going to react in a certain way. He's going to respond in a certain way. If we have a problem, there's a method, there's a way to solve that problem, and, and we can do it every time, and this is how life works, and we so badly want to put God in a box, and, and we want to decide how he's going to work. And I think that every time we build a little box for God, he just sort of rolls a grenade in there and blows it up so that we can't put God in a box. He's not a God of methods. He's a God about people. And that day, he saw that man and he went to him and he said, I got, a, I got something for you to do and, and it's gonna, it, we're gonna heal you today. This is your day. This is about you. It's not about creating methods it's not about getting a set of rules or a list of things to do, but it's how Jesus interacts with each of us. It's he meets us at that place that we have a need and he meets us as an individual and he meets our needs uniquely. It's never about method, it's always about relationship. And that's what Jesus did that day and that's what's so powerful about this picture. And so he makes the man wash and uh, he sees. And you know, that's a little bit of our life too, isn't it? There are, there are times in our spiritual blindness that, that we think that we see and Jesus needs to shine a little bit more light on our lives. He needs to give us a little bit more light so we see him a little bit more clearly and in the process see our, ourselves a little bit more clearly. I shared this story at the first service and I told him that I... I really struggled with whether or not to share it because it might not seem like a big deal to you, but it was a huge thing for me. And, and so I'm going to tell you, it is years ago, I was just starting out the ministry and um, I was pretty fired up about, you know, saving the world. That was kind of my, my deal. Um, you know, I was going to save the world and, and uh, serve people and serve the Lord and make God look good because he needed me to do that. And uh, we had one, one little boy at the time, Caleb, our oldest son, just a little guy, toddler. And I, for whatever reason, I, I kind of, I came up with this thing that, that I was out all day serving the Lord, you know, doing good things, saving the world, all that stuff. And that when I got home, you know, I'd used up all my words and I was, tired and and what you know men did then they would come home and you'd sit in your chair and you'd turn on the news watch the news right that's what we did and so one day I had gotten in this habit of coming home and first thing I did was sit down in my chair and watch the news and one day I was there watching the news and Caleb our little toddler came and he just stood in front of the television and he wasn't belligerent he just was saying dad I'm here he didn't know what to say. He didn't say, you know, he wasn't old enough to say, Dad, you're such a loser. <laughs> he just stood in front of the TV and looked at me. Dad, I'm here. Do you notice me? And I don't know, it just killed me. It just crushed me that I thought, oh my goodness, I'm so full of myself. I'm so full of pride. I think I'm out doing all these good things and this is my time and I have a little boy that has to stand in front of a TV to get my attention and I turned off the TV. I didn't do that ever again because I thought, what's more precious in my life? 
and this little guy. And I felt like it was a moment that the Lord just turned on a light again and said, Larry, you're just not all that yet, man. You still need my light. You still have blindness. I need to turn the light on in your life. I think I was becoming a Pharisee. I was getting better and better at telling other people how to be good Christians. And I was missing it in my own life. I was blind to what I was doing and I needed that little guy to to point it out to me. And I don't know how the light comes on in your life and I don't know how you respond when it does. Sometimes it makes us angry. Sometimes it makes us frustrated. Sometimes we get a little defensive. Maybe we get a little depressed. Oh man, I did it again. But here's, here's the deal. Is it's just a picture of Jesus because he, he never takes his eye off us. He never forgets us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We're always on his mind. And he wants to shine his light in our lives. He wants us to see what life really is about. He wants us to see that life really matters to him. Our lives really matter to him. So those last verses that I read at the very beginning says in verse 35, it says this, Jesus heard that they had cast the man out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. You know, in the scripture, the word worship is a huge, big word. In the Old Testament, most of the time, it means to bow low before someone. It's to acknowledge someone as your sovereign and bow before them. And I can picture that scene. I can picture that time where that man was, that he realized who Jesus was. And he said, Lord, I believe you. And he bowed. He went to the ground in acknowledgement of who Jesus is, in acknowledgement of the greatness that he was standing in front of the God of the universe. He was standing in front of the Messiah and he bowed low before him. You know, we come to church to worship. Worship's changed a lot over the years. Um, If you were living in the first century, you would go to the temple with your sacrifice and um, you might have a lamb or you might have something else and you would take that lamb to the priest and and the priest would prepare everything at the altar and then you would lay your hand on the head of that lamb with the idea that there was an exchange going on that that lamb was going to be sacrificed so that your sins could be forgiven and they would then kill the lamb and that sacrifice would be made on your behalf and behalf of your family and Jesus came and Jesus was the lamb that was slain for us once and for all because of who Christ is. There's no more need for those kinds of sacrifices. And so Jesus begins to teach us about real worship. And real worship begins with believing in the one who was slain, believing in the one who gave his life for us so that we might have eternal life, believing in Jesus the Christ. And then here's, and then we sing to acknowledge that, we sing to lift our hearts, we sing to to show that glory and the greatness of who Jesus is, but that's not all of worship. That's not all there is to worship. If worship is a sign of believing, let me tell you what Paul 
teaches us that it means. In Romans 12, 1, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He says, I appeal. Appeal in the Greek is a strong word. It's, it's the strongest word. We don't have a good translation for it, but it's kind of, I beg you, I urge you with everything that I have, I want you to get this, that by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you know what Paul says worship is? Real worship. It's giving ourselves 100% to Christ. It's holding back nothing. It's presenting our bodies as a sacrifice to him, saying, Lord, I belong to you. I'm yours. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me that we've given ourselves completely and 100% to him. We don't exactly know how to do that and, and we kind of do it over the course of our lives. We find out more and we give more and we sacrifice more. But what worship really looks like, what worship is really intended to be, what it really means to live out believing in Jesus is that we give him all of who we are. We give him all of our life. And that's what worship looks like. That's how we worship. It's presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord because of his mercies, not because of what we've done. So you want to be a great worshiper this morning. It's not singing louder. It's good to sing loud, but it's about giving ourselves as a sacrifice, giving all of who we are back to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the truth of your word and how you speak to us, Lord. And thank you for the story of the man who was born blind and, Lord, that you healed. And, Lord, I pray this morning that, that you would touch us in areas of our life that we're blind, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would allow us to see more, Lord, that you would shine the light of your spirit in our hearts and our minds, that we might see you more clearly and in seeing you, Lord, we might see ourselves. So we ask that you'd speak to us, Lord. Challenge us, convict us, encourage us, whatever it is that we need, Lord. We are so grateful that you meet us where we are. We give you all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.